Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. So thanks for being here. Um, I wasn't here last week. I was babysitting Riley, but I watched online and I thought it was really good. I, uh, I really did appreciate the fact that Anth associated the, um, our view of violence and war with our past experiences of what we believe God was like. Um, because there's a, a phrase, isn't there, that you know, often we feel that we can love who God loves and hate who God hates, and he sort of justifies our stance on things, so I thought it was good to bring it that way. So it's me tonight, because i has got the, uh, I don't know whether he drew the short straw or the, <laughs> or what, I don't know which is easiest, to be honest, except yeah, Riley will be going to bed soon, so he'll uh, probably get the better deal. Um, I'm feeling at the moment as though I've got a lot of absolute jumbled thoughts in my head, and I'll do my best to uh, get them out. But it's a particularly dif- difficult subject, all of this. And I said, well, you chose it. I said, I didn't. I don't know how it came to be. It's just one of those things that somebody said, we ought to, you know, what do you think about this, that, and the other? And uh, so we try to scratch where it itches in this place. Well, we do. We try to answer the things that people are asking. Um, so seriously, if you've got things that you want to um, have dealt with, please say something and we will do our best to get down to it. So um, before we start, should we just ask for some help? Let's ask for some help. Um, I don't know about you, but I've, I don't like to say I'm old because I know that there are people in here who are older and they don't consider themselves old. So if I say I'm old, Eunice will tell me off. But uh, I do know that as I get older, things are mattering to me more and uh, things that maybe is in my youth I could just brush off I can't brush off anymore and I don't know whether that's to do with age or, or whether it's to do with certain experiences in life and struggles and whatever um, but I find that I'm either in this because I totally believe it and it's going to change the world or I don't want to be in it at all I know that sounds a bit weird for, from somebody who's been in the ministry for, uh, you know, 25 years, but I am not that indoctrinated that I couldn't walk away if I found it to be false. So I, that's the way I feel we should be honest in this place. Um, so what we're wanting to do when we tackle these subjects is to be real. And uh, somebody said, in an email to me a little while ago, that you're not as honest as you portrayed yourself out to be. And that was very hurtful to me because I really did believe that um, we have an honesty here where we're not trying to wear a mask or pretend, uh, even in the context of our knowledge. I don't pretend I know what I don't. And uh, I feel that the, the most powerful words anybody can say nowadays is I don't know. Because at least that saying, I'm not going to make it up and I'm not going to try and impress you 
by some knowledge, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know. So anyway, I said all that to say, let's ask for some help. Because if we're um, really serious, like we say we are, um, then the, the Father knows our hearts and he's going to help us, isn't he? Because he, he said that the truth will set us free. Might make us miserable first, but uh, let the truth set us free. And uh, so let's just ask God to help us. Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing in our lives and in this place. And uh, I just ask, Father, that you will uh, let your Holy Spirit just hover like it did in the beginning in order that light might come out of darkness and that we might have revelation and inspiration and understanding uh, in order to move us forward because we believe that your kingdom is an advancing kingdom and we want to be moving forward in the way that you are moving forward. So I ask, Father, that you'll help my mind. Will you keep it clear? Will you give me clarity? And uh, don't let me wander off track or where I shouldn't be going. Um, But please speak to the people what you once said. Uh, We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's have a look. The subject that we're talking about, about conflict or war, I mean, Anth prefers to use the word conflict because war is probably more specific, but conflict in general, uh, it, it is a, um, a massive subject. And I would have said right at the beginning that I was totally anti-violence, anti-fight, anti-anything like that, until you start to look at it in depth and then you start to realise that things aren't as clear-cut as the, you thought they were. And... Um, there's so many subjects, and, and at the end, because I might not speak for very long, but who knows, but uh, at the end, I've just got a whole bunch of questions that were coming to my mind that I might just blurt them all out and let you have a think about them, because sometimes uh, the, the questions that come up are just so many that you don't quite know what, what to do with them all. But I was thinking about in the context of... Uh, uh, the whole thing about war, you've got the fact that um, the Lord's Prayer says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, But then we've been taught in what you would call our common narrative, that actually there was a war in heaven. And so that immediately puts you on your back foot because you're saying there was in the whole story that we have been handed in the common narrative, it starts with war in heaven. Now, the whole thing goes that, that God won, he threw out Lucifer, which I have a problem with that because I'm not sure that even in the name, have you, just can I throw this one in? You see that I'm doing it already. Let me throw this one in. If names meant things in the Bible, right, you've got the fact that the other two arch, is it arch or arch, archangels, one's called Michael. Do you remember when we talked about El? Uh, and there's Gabriel, and then you've suddenly got Lucifer. That don't work for me, because you see, there should be some sort of pattern, and there isn't one. So where did we get him from? But anyway, that's another story. But if we are to believe then that this war in heaven, and it, it suggests then that there is a good side to war, 
Because if it deals with the baddies, then we're okay. Because right at the beginning, there was, there was a war and it all started with a war. So that makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because when we start praying things like, uh, as, it, as it is in heaven, your will be done. Then you have to think, well, as it is in heaven, there was war in heaven. Therefore, there's war on earth. It justifies war on earth. Now, I'm only throwing that in to, to really show you the things that, that come to your mind. So, basically, um, what I'm going to start with is uh, a little diagram, if I've got a, a pen. Because um, you know here that we sort of hold to a less common narrative, let's call it that, shall we? And uh, there's a little picture that we can do here, and it's like that. And then we've got here, perfection. Here, we've got the fall. Here, we've got the, oh, the terrible place of sin. Then here, we've got the cross and salvation that pulls us out of this horrible pit and establishes back on the road, which eventually we go up to heaven. But of course, anybody who doesn't get saved goes to where? That is what's called the six-point narrative of the gospel. Now, the thing is, you can find that in many other religions as well and it's questionable who pinched it from who but that is the picture now what's amazing is if you get away from this which we've tried to do in our understanding of the Abba of Jesus you find that the new covenant brings us to something totally different and it's this just a very funny shape starting here but you have creation I can't spell. And then we've got liberation with this widening continual space in the middle, which is called peaceable kingdom. Sorry, my writing's not very good at all. Which is a far nicer looking picture than this because this is just constantly expanding it's going to just keep expanding and expanding now we're going to talk about the peaceable kingdom tonight and hopefully oh can somebody get me some water just a little tub of water please I'm sorry I forgot, forgot some water um because um if we we have to ask the question can we really believe that we can have this peaceable kingdom on earth. Because if you go back to the story of, of uh, the angels singing at the birth of Jesus, what was it? Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. Um, and you have to ask a question, where is it? Where is, where is that peace? Unless it means something else. And we've been taught in many ways that it's about an internal peace, that the peace of God that passes all understanding, it guards our hearts and it guards our minds. So there's been a, an awful lot of emphasis on the peace of God that is about internal uh, kingdom 
as opposed to whether it can actually be visible in the context of our world. So do we believe that there can be peace on earth? So if we believe that the overarching story of the Bible is creation, liberation and reconciliation, then what we see at work in essence are the opposite. Um, and I, will, I pro probably should put them on the board, but um, I'll just tell you them now. It's this. The opposite of creation is what? Destruction. The op uh, opposite of liberation is oppression. And you've got the opposite of reconciliation, which is violence. And we see that without doubt uh, in our world. Um, and like I said, we've been taught many times. Thank you so much. You can be noisy if you want as well. Please talk to me. Um, I, I prefer it. Um, we've been taught as well that, again, in our desire to make the gospel work for us, we've internalized a lot of things about in situations that peace of God will pass all understanding. But we've probably... <laughs> What's the word I'm looking for? We've probably steered away from whether it can be a realisation in the context of our world. So we have the whole understanding of Jesus coming. We know that he is the Prince of Peace. But then as we look across the world, we don't see a lot of peace. But then we say, yes, but where the peace is, is in our hearts. So all hell can be letting loose around us. And providing we've got peace in our hearts, we actually believe that somehow we've got the whole gospel. Now, I don't know. And I've been struggling today. I was having a conversation with Danny earlier and I'm thinking, I really don't know what, what I believe, whether it is true. And I don't know, again, whether I'm getting older and I've seen too much sadness and too much difficulty and too many problems to actually keep that sense of, oh yeah, come on, I'm, I'm going to believe it. Or whether I'm now thinking, I don't know. Maybe it's, the truth is, as human beings, we need to fight to survive. And that's just the top and bottom of it. We need it to, to, to get along. Um, which, of course, we're going to talk uh, about in, in, in a little while. But I'm just wondering if instead of just understanding and embracing the shalom of God, which is, remember, that peace is not the absence of conflict, but it is the presence of something. And that sounds great, and I love that. And I want there to be the presence of the peace of God, the shalom of God, dwelling richly in our hearts in all situations. But then I could go off on a tangent there and say, how many of us find that to be true when really the SHIT hits the fan? Be honest. So the truth is, we don't have peace in the world and neither do we have it in our hearts all the time. Right. Thanks, Betty, because that was probably a little bit too expansive. I know that we all have it some of the time, but we, but we know that we don't have it all of the time. And yet, that should be our... It, it, it should, I believe that the church, the ecclesia, should be the place where there is the most happiness, the most joy, the absolute least amount of falling outs... The, the least arguments in the sense of arguments that take to breaking of relationship, I, I, I think arguments are all right if you're arguing a, 
a, a point of view. I think it's great. I mean, me and uh, Jenny often, don't we, really, well, what about this and what about that? And it's great. We love it. But arguments that lead to the breakdown of relationship should absolutely never be. Never be. But they're so common that it's so sad. It just shouldn't be it at all. So, Again, that's my little tangent going off. I believe that we should not only be working to see peace in the world, but it should be the greatest thing that's not only in our hearts in situations, but amongst us. That should be the example that, that we're definitely setting. So anyway, um, my title then is uh, Peace on Earth, Peaceable Kingdom, or is it a pipe dream? Good question, eh? Um, Anth mentioned on uh, Saturday night, and I thought it was great, about the new wine. And he likened the new wine to a new understanding, a new revelation. And he talked about those, uh, that new wine needing a new wine skin. And we get that, and we understand what happens if we don't have the skin re replaced. Um, but we've had to let the old wine go, um, but then we also have had to let the old wines, what, what is called, this is a funny word, but you'll get it, and I can't think of how else to say it, but use this word. It's called eschatology. All eschatology means is end time, future uh, idea of what's going to happen. So with getting rid of an old wine revelation, you also have to get rid of what that old wine eschatology meant. Now, what's interesting here, think about this. Do you remember when I spoke a little while ago uh, when he did about the, um, the calendar of the, the Jewish festival, which was great? Do you remember what was pointed out? We start with God here and we end with God here, but somehow in all this, other than the fact that he came to die for us, it's like he's, he's, he's distant and far away. Whereas in this, what you have is the actual residing of kingdom happening all the time like in the circle where, you remember, the, the circle was, and, and God was in the middle, so there was never a point where you were any further away. Do you remember that? What you have here is that same thing, because there's never a point where you're not in it all of the time now, not waiting or starting with it here at creation and then only ever getting back to it when we die, so to speak, at the end time. See what, see what I mean there? Okay. So we need a new eschatology. So if we say that the new covenant is the more beautiful gospel, and I'm assuming that when I use phrases like that, you have an idea what we mean, because we, if we had to go through it every time, it would take a long time, wouldn't it? But the more beautiful gospel, that new, more beautiful gospel also needs a new eschatology. Because if you're ending up with the same one for the old story, then what's changed? Seems, seems silly, so... We need a new end idea, one that inspires us, that gives us passion to do good things because we're confident that we're actually operating in something that's already won, but we just haven't yet seen the completion of it. But we're actually participating in something that's already finished. But then there's a paradox because without us, it isn't going to get done. Now, I know that sounds really weird, but I think that that's so awesome because that's the uh, partnership and the participating uh, DNA of God, our Father, 
who says, you know what, I want you to be as part of this with me and, and help bring it in. And I remember a while back, I, I preached on whether we were adding to the world's pain or we're actually relieving it. And that's a good question, isn't it? With all that we do, are we adding to the world's pain or are we helping relieve it? And that's a, a good challenge to us all. So anyway, um, are we believing that there is a, a, an end time or a working towards, we're already in it, but we're not just seeing the unfolding of it fully yet, um, of this peaceable kingdom? And are we willing to have our present way of life shaped by what we believe that God's vision is for the world? Because if we're not careful, and I, and I know some of you don't know anything about this, but old-fashioned common narrative of, of um, uh, the story was basically, you're in the earth, you're in the world, but you were not of it, but you just needed to hang on by your fingertips because thankfully... Jesus was going to come again and finally he would take us all away from this terrible world and everything would be okay. Now, we don't talk like that here, do we? So some of you might never have heard that, but that was the common, what was called the common narrative. So people used to sing songs like, hold the fort for I am coming. Basically, you know, the, 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 we're fighting and we're doing our best we can to survive. But, you know, hold on because Jesus is going to come and he's going to redeem us all out of it, and we're going to all be happy up in, in that lovely place called heaven. So we had what was called a, uh, oh, I forgot, the, 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 almost a, a escapism type of theology that was all about this world's a dreadful place, it's awful, and we've just got to get do our best while we're here, and finally we're going to get out of it. And like I say, we don't, have, we don't uh, really go for that because we believe that this is a place that we were given. If we were angels, if we'd have made us angels, we'd have been angelic in another sphere. But he made us human, and he put us on here, right? So this is our place, and it's up to us to help in whatever way we can to make it uh, um, a wonderful place. So, right, let's just move on. So uh, the narrative spoken about last week this image of a violent God. Um, if we reject that image uh, because of Jesus and what we feel Jesus shows us, we have to end up with a different end. I, I just feel it has to be. You can't end up with the same ending because we've, we've allowed Jesus to change our view of the Father and his mission and his, what he intended to do. So in the end, you've got to have a uh, a, a totally different uh, view of, of what's happening from the uh, what's called that six-line narrative. So let's talk a little bit about what most people think about the world. Well, first of all, if you look to science, they're going to tell you the world is doomed. Why are they going to tell you the world is doomed? You can you can tell you can climate change. Oh, good one. Pollution. How about just not enough resources? We're running out of this. We're running out of that. There's not going to be this. There's not going to be that. The sun's getting hotter and, you know, going to kill. I, I'm not trying to be clever, but the point I'm making is the scientists will have you believe that we are doomed. Okay. Then, of course, the church doesn't make it much better because if you go with the common line, uh, six line narrative, 
um, sort of half, at least half are doomed and the other half are not doomed. And it's one of these some are in and some are out uh, idea. Um, there's going to sort of be a sorting and a reckoning at the end to, to sort all of that out, but it's still going to be um, some saved and, and, and the others aren't. So there's a, there's a doom there. Um, and then often we, like I said a few minutes ago, we resort to this what's called second coming theology to somehow uh, give us hope that even if we can't sort things out now, it'll be sorted out then. Do, do you get me? And that, that's part of our issue as well over, uh, and I, I was, I was going to come to it later, but I'll say it now. Often people who talk about being peaceful or peaceable are only peaceable because they're waiting for this end time. So Christians all over the world will put up with things. Why? <laughs> because this second coming's going to happen and so is that really a peace-loving person? To me, it's not. It's like saying, I am going to live at peace because I'm going to bite my lip, but it's going to be okay because those that need to get their comeuppance are going to get it at some point. So in my mind, that's not forgiving. It's not peaceable kingdom. Is, is this making sense? So what does this peaceable kingdom look like? And... Uh, Let's see if I can, um, uh, so like I said, we can either believe we have it now, or it can't happen now, or it's some future time. Um, I believe that the new covenant, I mean, I love what we've learned over, you know, Jer Jeremiah 31, where it talks about, I will make a new covenant, it will not be anything like the old, uh, and it, it'll be, you know, uh, totally different, and we've, we've caught on to that, and we're letting that give us insight into this more beautiful gospel. Um, so what I believe, if anything, is in here, <laughs> is at least the word, it's got to become undoomed. <laughs> because I know it's a silly word, but it's a word that I sort of thought, that's the only word I, I knew what to say, really. Because if it's doom and gloom for everybody else, in the new covenant, it must be undoomed. Do you like that word? There you go, you've got undoomed. I'll give you, give you that one. With the eventual healing, joy, liberation, and whatever it is that's God's vision for the world, uh, being a visible reality, but we will have taken part in it as well. We'll have participated in it. Now, what's interesting uh, about that, the word participation, if you remember the story of Jonah, I think that that's a wonderful picture of, the, of an Old Testament opportunity from God for somebody to participate in creating of an, the undooming of a place, Nineveh. Sorry, I'm struggling to look over this side because of that light, so I really apologise. The light's just a bit bright. Um, so the undooming, God said to uh, Jonah, get up and go. And what did he do? He didn't want to participate. Why didn't he want to participate? Let's just call it what it is. He felt Nineveh deserved everything that was coming to them. And I would like to, at this point to say often, and I said it at the beginning, we're often more likely to be pro 
war or pro-violence or pro-whatever uh, because we feel that the people involved are only getting what they deserve. And that makes it far easier, doesn't it, to actually not necessarily participate in the doing, but sit and do nothing. And that's what we have with Jonah. He actually gets on a ship and goes totally the other way. Now, whether the story of the, the, the whale is symbolic, I really don't care. But for me, it's a picture of there being a provision, which is grace again. There was provision for even while Jonah is sat in the belly of that great big fish, there was an opportunity for him to have a rethink. And then, of course, he spat out onto the land. He does what he's supposed to do. And then he goes and preaches. He participates. Nineveh is saved. And then what happens? He goes and sits under a bush and he sulks. Which I just found that brilliant because you've got God working with him to participate in the undooming of Nineveh. And he wasn't happy about that. And I would like at this point to say, just throw out a bit of a challenge to us all. Let's not uh, be unwilling to participate in the undooming of stuff. Um, we'll get to it a little bit later about being peacemakers. What does that mean? I believe that being peacemakers means we participate actively in the undooming of things or the reconciling of things or the, the helping in things. Let's not sit on, on the sideline and sulk because we say, well, they brought it on themselves or whatever. Do, do you get what I mean? Let's actively work, just like God was actively working with Nineveh to undoom them. I love that. Okay, moving on. All right, so here's the point. Here's the question that I want to ask. Can there be a state of harmony in, in this world, in the here and now, among all creatures? I didn't just say human beings. I said creatures. Because that's the thought as well. Because if we're talking, uh, when I get to it in a minute, you'll see that animals are involved here as well. Um, because it's one thing to say people live at peace with each other, but can all creation live at peace and work in harmony together? Um, I, I often I find it really funny, and, 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 and I know Amy and, and the, the gang will forgive me for saying this, but I often find it amazing when people are so pro-animal that they still don't understand that animals are pretty nasty to each other. <laughs> really, they'll not think anything. You know, the lion's going to get that that reindeer or whatever it is. It's not a reindeer. What would you call them? A gazelle or whatever. It doesn't think to itself, do you know what? I ought to live and let live. I'll just lay here and It says, no, dinner. And it goes, and the poor thing can be absolutely terrified out of its wits, but it's not going to... Do you know what I'm saying? So right across the board, we've got to think in terms of what does this peaceable kingdom mean? If it can exist, what does it mean? And I don't want to, you know, like I say, upset anybody with that, but I do believe it's important. I mean, I've been challenged with a lot of things as we've talk, come to talk about this, this subject. So, Isaiah... Um, and I think I've, I've got it here so I didn't have to worry about finding it. Talk.
talks in Isaiah 2 verse 4. You can put it up if you like. And then we, after that, we're going to Isaiah 11, 6 to 9. Say something, um, which is really quite amazing. And I'll, I'm going to read it to you. But it's whether this is a picture of the peaceable kingdom. And we're finding it in the Old Testament. And we know that the Old Testament has a wonderful golden thread like we've talked about running through it. It might have all this other horrible stuff going on, but we know that there is this wonderful thread of the, of the grace of God and the picture bringing us to Christ. So we know it's there. We also know that Isaiah was a pretty awesome prophet and he said some amazing things. And uh, we know that uh, he prophesied front of us, a child is born. I mean, he had no idea about this child that was going to be born. He was prophesied prophesying it many hundreds of years before it happened uh, and he also I'm trying to think what else he said what was the other thing that he said oh then he talked about um, he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquity we did esteem him smitten of God but it was for us and, and he went into this incredible prophecy about what was going to happen to Jesus so we know that there is something about his gift that can be trusted, but then we have to ask the question, when is this supposedly going to happen? You know, is it now? Is it then? Is it future? Is it whatever? So let me just read what it's, what, well, it's, no, it's not going up there. So it doesn't matter. Um, Isaiah 2 uh, verse 4 says this, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. That is an absolute statement of peace, right? Um, and then if we go to uh, Isaiah 11, 6, 9, this is incredible. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together and a little child will lead them. That's fantastic. Whoa. Uh, the cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. Infants will play near the hole of the cobra. Young children will put their hands into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on, on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, I think that that sounds pretty amazing and it almost sounds too good to be true. Now, we have to talk about when this was being written, what was happening. The Israelites had been in captivity for a long, long time. And you can imagine they were incredibly depressed, <laughs> for want of a better word. They had seen everything of their past destroyed by uh, conquering armies and yet in it they had a vision of what could be now it's easy to say well yeah it, it, you can be that especially the first bit about they will beat their swords into plowshares if you become the conquering army <laughs> because if you then rise up and get your army together and then go and, and, and conquer everybody and you become the dominating one, which if you look in um, uh, the Old Testament, there was a lot of that desire 
wasn't there, about God telling them, kill every, uh, vill- every village you pass through, now you're, now you're free, go and kill them all, don't spare any child or whatever. Again, we've covered that as to whether that's what they thought God had said or whether God actually said it, and I'm not going into that tonight. Um, but what I'm trying to get at is when you have been uh, abused and enslaved for so long, you, you, there can be that fighting attitude that you come out with with wanting to dominate back so what i'm saying is that it's easy to say we'll beat our swords into plowshares once we've overcome all our enemies it's not so easy to beat them into plowshares when you're just coming out of captivity and you're in the middle and you haven't got any land and you're sitting ducks for everybody which brings us then to the question of, is that the point? Is that the point that we meant to beat our weapons or not even have any weapons, but we only ever have that which is productive for life wherever we go? That's a good point, isn't it? Because I remember having conversations many years ago over some of the conflicts in Ireland, and it was always that, well, somebody has got to start the process of saying, I won't do this. Because I remember there was an awful time, nearly every year you could guarantee that when it was the march of one group that used to come down the street, she would guarantee that there'd be trouble. So I would say, well, why don't they just not march? And it was like, we're going to march. We've done it every year for the last however many hundred years. It's our right, we're going to do it. Wouldn't it have been wonderful if they said, We're never going to march again because all that's doing is rubbing it in your faces how we conquered. Do you get it? And somebody's got to be willing to say, that's past, that was then, but we're not doing it. And it's right, don't just make this about international and whatever. It's with us as people. Somebody's got to say, not doing that no more. It might have have been what we did in the past, but we're not going to do that anymore. So where am I? Right, so this was the dream that they held on to in their captivity, the belief that a a peaceable kingdom was there to be had. Or, this is the next thing, is it something that was being prophesied by Isaiah of what was coming, right, that we haven't seen yet? Or it could have been in the context of what came with the birth of Christ, because remember he talked about for unto us a a child is born, etc., etc. Is is this what he's talking about? Or, like we've talked about already, is it purely, purely a future thing that is still to happen in what is often termed the second coming of Christ? Now, I loved it when um, uh, Joel talked on Revelation because he brought it so wonderfully into this whole idea that a lot of what people have taken into be what's called second coming and end time theology is stuff that's already happened. Now, we talked about the, the terms, um, a preterist means everything's already happened. So everything that's been prophesied, whether it be Old Testament, New Testament, it's already taken place. Or there's the term partial preterist, which means that you look at some of the things that are written, like maybe it's what's been written in Isaiah, and you say, no, that hasn't happened yet, but some has. (laughs) 
And then there are people who don't believe anything has happened at all and it's all going to happen at the end time. This, 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 whenever. And if you think about it, we're, we're already how many thousand years since, the, since Christ? Oh, thank you. It wasn't a trick question. <laughs> so we're already 2,000 years on and nearly everything that was talked about by the early church was talking about soon, soon. It's going to happen immediately. And, there's, and I'll tell you to a scripture in a minute where it's talking about before this generation passes away, all these things must have come to pass. Well, hang on a minute, we're 2,000 years on and we are still saying none of it has come to pass. Something's not quite right. And I hope, is this coming over clearly? I hope so, because if it's not interesting, I'd be very sad. But anyway, that's all right. I won't fight. <laughs> I won't fight you. I'll, I'll just... All right. So this term, uh, that's the second coming of Christ, to me is hilarious. Do you know it is not in the Bible at all? There you go, Barbara. Just knocked your socks off there, love, haven't they? And we're not making this up. It is not in the Bible as a term, the second coming of Christ. It's like the word rapture. There is no reference to rapture. It is a concept that's been taken from words, a bit like Hell was taken from Guiana and Hades and Sheol. It's another one of them. What's the word we use? Um, mischief. And that's why I said at the beginning, I am either in this for real, because I am hating the mischiefs that I'm finding, and I'm thinking, hang on a minute. I don't like the mischief. So... The, uh, let me just get down to, uh, oh, actually, before I move on to that, can I just go back a little, mi little minute? Because there is a, a train of thought that says that the beasts that's talked about in Isaiah 11, it, they could be names of different countries because different places had, sim were symbolised as, as countries. Or there is another train of thought which is saying that the inner beasts, of us, our internal demon beasts, they get, um, uh, what's the word when you, when you train, a, they get something or other, domesticated, tamed, thank you Jonathan, that's the word I'm looking for, they get tamed, so basically the lion lays down with the lamb because of the reconciliation of God's kingdom within the individual. Now, I quite like that. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just, listen, and remember in this place, what I'm saying tonight doesn't mean that I am right. I am throwing this out for you to listen to and to think about and to read and then make up your own mind because I'll probably find something else tomorrow that I think... I wish I'd said that, you know. So we, we're, not, we, we're not trying to make anybody believe anything. Do you, do you get that? Okay, so it's about at the end of the day, not denying our real natures, what's inside of us, but being willing to allow the two to, to be together and be real in that, in that sense. Anyway, moving on. So, right. Um, where's me thing that I need to put here? Okay, so what this idea is then that um, uh, this peaceable kingdom 
it is something that is not yet visible fully, but we're participating in it, but in reality, it's already there, but it's not yet complete. I, I, I struggle with stuff like that because I know it's a bit hard for us because we very much, aren't we, we want it made very, very clear, but that's as clear as I can make that. So, right, um, second coming of Christ, then, this is really interesting. That word or that phrase, the second coming of Christ, is taken from a word um, that is parousia, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, parousia. And uh, basically, it's the, it's, it, all it means is presence. <laughs> you think, where did second coming come with that? But it's because it happens to be written, that word parousia, among a lot of talk about the end of the age. So in, in things that the disciples were talking about, that were talking about what was going to happen at the end of the age. But you see, we've taken that it's the end of the world, whereas actually the disciples are talking no further away than two years ahead or what have you, in the sense, you know, they've, got, they've had Jesus, they've watched him live, they've watched his, his, his death, they've witnessed his resurrection, and they know that something is happening and they're not quite sure what, but they're looking at it in the context of an immediate happening, not something 2,000 years on that we're still waiting. And yet, if you think about it, what dominates a lot of the common narrative belief is this Jesus coming back to rapture his church. They use pictures of Noah and the ark. That, that, but if that's the case, well, there's only eight of them. It's not going to be much fun, is it? But there's only eight. So I don't know, all these pictures, it all gets a bit weird. But anyway, that is, that is the truth. But anyway, so parousia means presence. And um, they knew that they were waiting for something very different because of what they had seen in Christ. So they were waiting for the coming, the coming, the presence. Uh, did you get it? The coming, it's the presence. And actually, the word par, <laughs> it's just next to, Rusia means absence. So what it's really meaning is not absent. It's one of those really silly, silly sort of words. But basically, they were waiting for the presence to return. Him having gone, and with what had been said, they were waiting for his imminent return. So the question is, did he return? <laughs> so it's all very interesting, isn't it? So anyway... It was going to be an immediate, it was going to happen in the immediate future. And what was going to happen, it was going to be a new age in human history. Something was very, very different because of this. And this was what they were, were, were talking about, something very different. Um, and it was, in their minds, it was something within the people, within the generation. It was the presence of Christ being within them to continue to outwork what Christ had begun. That, that was it. So the second coming, in essence, was their understanding that the presence was within them to carry on the work that he'd already begun. That's the second coming. Do you get it? The second coming. That's now. Well, I, I hope I made that clear because I know it's a bit... Odd when we're talking about words like that. But anyway, this would be an age, 
and think about it. Remember that we're talking about disciples that had been part of the old covenant, the old regime. They knew the old regime, but it was going to be an age of spirit and grace rather than law-keeping and law. Um, God's presence was going to be in people um, formed from all cultures. Because if you think about it, you've got the story of, of the Ethiopian eunuch, you've got the Syrophoenician woman, you've got all these various people who would have been uh, considered out. Suddenly something's happening. Remember, the presence of God was only with the uh, Israelites, but the, even the Israelites had to be of a particular pure descent. So it was very exclusive and it wasn't open to anybody. But what was happening here was this presence is not going to be restricted to a temple. It wasn't going to be restricted to a people. It was going to be, what did the phrase say in there? It's going to be the spirit of the Lord would be all over the earth, like the waters covered the sea. So it was something that it was all consuming right, right across the board. And uh, it would be an age of love as an identifier of, of the people of God rather than what was their, their mark. It was circumcision, wasn't it? So circumcision was the mark and instead it was going to be the mark of love. And um, it would be the end of... The old regime as they knew it, especially the regime that symbolized the atonement. And if you remember, the atonement was to do always with sacrifice, but all of a sudden that was brought to an end. So this new age had come with the birth, life, death and resurrection of Jesus. But the waiting, the waiting, why were they waiting? They were waiting for something to happen because they were still in the ending of one thing and the coming of the new. So when did the new come? Now, it sounds a bit odd, but it came actually in the most horrendous circumstance. And this is, so I struggle with this a little bit because you think, well, why would that presence come like this? But it came when the Romans came into um, uh, Jerusalem at AD 70 and literally destroyed the temple. Now you think, oh, that's awful. That's warish. That's not good. But then this is why we talk about can it be good? Because in essence, the tearing down of the temple, it meant that there was no attachment anymore to the old because they couldn't just go and sacrifice their animals anywhere. It had to be there. So with the destruction of the temple, it was like the end. The end has come. But it was a beginning. But what was the, the beginning of? It was the beginning of the age of what could be called the peaceable kingdom. Now, you're saying how, how, how? Because we've still got problems going on. But when the, the, the angels were saying, peace on earth, goodwill towards men, is it possible that the peace that was being talked about was the peace with God rather than the peace that was going to have to come through sacrifice and all the ritual, that peace was coming to earth to all men because all of this stuff was going to be abolished. 
death and resurrection. One thing dies, something else comes up. Is this making sense or not? So we can then say then that if we're saying that the peaceable kingdom only comes with the second coming, have we had the second coming? Some people say no, because they're preterists. Uh, it's up to you whether you think it's, uh, it's come or not. But what was being said was the, um, the sacrificial system has ended. The priesthood was totally disbanded in the context of what it was at that time. And the old era came to, end, to an end. And what we have in the, the, the book of Hebrews, it talks about them. We are a, 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 a holy nation, a royal priesthood belonging to God. Was, was that being talked was that just about the Hebrews? No, it was actually saying, this is now what's happening to everybody who wants to be included because it's not just exclusive to one group uh, anymore. So, where are we? Right. Uh, yeah, for me, see, I'm thinking, yes, yeah, all of a sudden you've got peace on earth in the context that the earth is no longer crying out, groaning for the manifestation of the sons of God. Because the sons of God have now risen up to say, this is who we are. We don't need sacrifice. We don't need any of that. All we have to understand is the, um, what, what Christ has, has, has won for us in his, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. So, you might say, yeah, but we still haven't got peace on earth. But if we then talk about the fact that that piece is all right, right? That piece is all right. If we are to participate in the peaceable kingdom, then we have to say then there is a partnership between what God is doing and what we are doing. Now, this is where it gets quite, quite interesting because it is a very complex thing, isn't it? Uh, are we willing to play our part in the process? Now, I know I've been challenged on this because when I think about so many things that I've taken for granted over my life, just have, and I've not really given it any thought, and I'm thinking, yeah, I, I didn't really participate in the peaceable kingdom there, and I wish I had, you know, because I, I just look back at, at, at my own life, and uh, maybe, you know, I can think, well, I haven't made that many mistakes, but the ones I made were pretty good, you know, <laughs> pretty corkers, you know, but that's not the point, is it? That what, what I'm trying to say is within us all, there is something that has that propensity for either the peaceable kingdom or we add to the world's pain, don't we? And why is that? It's because at the end of the day, we're conflicting over who we are. We conflict over what we have. We conflict of, over what we do. And... Um, you, you, I begin to wonder, can it ever be literally a reality when it comes down to people? And you think, oh, I want it so much to be. I want there to be this peaceable king. I want it to be, no, I, I said that wrong. I believe it exists. I just believe we're not seeing the manifestation of it quick enough because we don't participate enough. Does that make sense? So if we all like we said a while ago, put down the, the sword and beat it into to plowshares, then 
we'd probably have more food for the world and, and, you know, and help that. But of course, who's in charge of all that? I mean, that all gets really weird, doesn't it? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about any of these questions? I just think, I mean, saying to Danny, okay, we all become vegetarians. Great, animals are sorted. But then what happens to all the animals? Where do they go? Do they just wander free around the world? Then do we get a point where we're afraid that the animals are going to eat us? And who's going to sort that out? And it really becomes quite scary. And then I think to myself, okay, but what about the farmers who their livelihood came from the cows and the milk? And we say, you can't do that anymore. So they're just all going to wander off into the hills and do all this. You know, it's going to be fun because there's going to be millions of them everywhere. And then somebody's going to say, we need a cull. And then somebody will shout, no, we can't do that. That would be terrible. But what are we going to do about all these animals? And then somebody then says, oh, it's okay because now we're not eating animals anymore. What we're going to do is um, have the greatest green grocer business in the world. It's going to be absolutely amazing. But then the point is, because you're only eating vegetables, the green grocers corner the market and they start charging such high prices that none of us can afford it. And especially those Poor people who before couldn't afford meat, they had the cheaper vegetables. They've now got to afford the more expensive vegetables. Now, that's just Chris Chapman's brain going nuts. And you can challenge me. You can tell me I'm wrong, and I'm fine with that. It's just how my mind works. And all the time I'm thinking in terms of, okay, right, we get everybody to not believe the same thing in the context of um, all being, quote, Christian. Do you know what I mean? We'll say, oh, all religions are fine. We'll just accept all religions until you're in a situation where you're against, let's say, and, and I'm sorry, this is going on the tape, but it's the other things that I was thinking of, until you get um, a, a baby girl who they want to genitally mutilate, and I'm saying, no, we're not having that. And then the, 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 the want to do it. And then I have to fight to, to protect this little baby that I don't want to see mutilated. Why? Yeah, but they, they believe that that's their religion. And that's what they do in order to honor God. You get me? So we're then saying, but that's not love. Because we would say, oh, well, love's the, 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 the universal policy that'll make everything all right. But what's love to me is it love to somebody else. And so it all gets absolutely... Woo! And then so you think to yourself, can this ever happen? Whoa. It's a good one though, isn't it? Do you want some more? See, we're, we're very, very selfish as well. Because, I mean, you only have to go back 60 years. I'm probably getting that wrong. But you've got the whole thing of the communist society who decided they came up with a great idea. This is what we do. We make everybody equal. We give everybody the same pay. You all live in the same size houses. You all have the same size car. You have the same holiday every week and you go to the same place. And you have that sort of idea that that'll make everybody sort of happy and get along. What was happening at that time? It was the Cold War. They had the, bo the, the bombs that they're ready to press the button. Do you remember all of that? In this socially equal country, they were the ones that were terrified 
remember, it was the Cold War at the time. So I just think to myself, like, what, what do you do about all of this? Um, I can't remember why I said that. I was like, why did I say, mention that about socialism? Oh, and then, of course, you've, you've not got that everybody is equal because some are more equal than others. And you get the wonderful story of, of, of Animal Farm, how it all goes messed up. Why? Because you then get people who are saying, yes, but I'm taking more responsibility on myself than others, so I deserve more than others. I need a bigger car, a bigger house, blah, blah, blah. So when I said a minute ago about how do conflicts uh, come about because it's over who we are, over what we have, and co conflicts over what we do, it's so simple, but how do we deal with that? And, and I said right at the beginning that as Christ followers who follow in the way, I believe that at least we should be doing our best to try and work that out. That's why, in essence, nobody should be without anything in this place, should they? We should be trying. But then on the other hand, you know, it's not as simple as that. Not as simple as that at all. Because when we get down to it, my priorities are different than somebody else's priorities. You know what I'm saying? So we like to spend our money on different things. And so we'd say, yes, but you're spending that money on something very, very silly. That's not good for you. Yes, but it's what I want to do. Do you get what I mean? So you suddenly get all this diversity. Wow. And that's what God sort of intended, isn't it? Diversity, individuality, and all this. It's just that we can't not fight over it. Have you thought about that? Wouldn't it be lovely if we can just not fight over it? Then, of course, we have the whole thing about discontentment. Always feeling that there's more out there. Our sense of, again, who we are. Um, there's also the fact that you always have to have somebody in charge. And isn't it funny when you get somebody in charge? What happens? I find it so funny, and I've got a little story for you. I follow a group on um, uh, Facebook, and it's a group of people who felt that they've really been, um, they would use the word abused. I don't like to use that word, but in the sense that their lives have been incredibly restricted and dominated by a, a Christian message, very much like this six-line narrative over there. And it's kept them very much uh, under control. And so they're rebelling against that and they're getting free and they're dead excited and they're saying loads of things on the uh, uh, on, on the pages. But what's really funny, that you've got an administration who's now set themselves up from the 3,000 that are in the group to make sure everybody behaves and doesn't say nasty things to each other and is, is nice to each other. And you're thinking, but you came out of that because the pastor had the audacity to tell you that you couldn't wear green or whatever. Oh no, that's, that's abuse, that's terrible, I'm not going to that church anymore. And then they go and join a group where there was a, an administration set up to tell them what they can and can't say. Oh, it makes me just think we are such nuts. We are, we're nuts because you have to have authority. You have to have somebody who sorts stuff out, who's willing to get messy and dirty to say, do you know what? Yes, in this situation, 
you can do that. And then, of course, somebody else comes along and does exactly the same thing. You sit them down and say, no, I'm sorry, you can't. And they'll say, you said yes to that one, but you said no to me. And somebody's got to have the, 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 the gumption to say yes, because things are different. Then people don't like it. And then they don't like authority. And then they fight. See? I've got it, I'm not. So, here's the question. Have we been promised utopia or a peaceable kingdom or is it something that we have associated with dominion and power just like the children of Israel when they were uh, coming out of slavery and they're talking about how it's going to be why because we have got control we're going to dominate we're going to be the, the the ones in charge therefore we can have that peace because we are the top dog, right? And I don't know whether, and this is, this is hard to, to sort of say, I don't know whether that's what, what Jesus ever intended. Because if it's death and resurrection, then it's always the fact that Jesus says, I would rather die than push my point. I would rather die than, than make you do this, that and the other. And I think that what the church has been called to do is do the same. And is actually to say, we would rather die than impose this. Rather die. Does, does, is that making sense? I hope, hope it is anyway. So, so in Revelation, and I mentioned it before about when Joel sort of wonderfully deconstructed some of our second coming, which doesn't exist, ideas of Revelation. Um, we have this picture of, of, of Jesus on a white horse the conquering hero, blood all over the place. Because what is that suggesting in the context of how it's been interpreted but the fact that what Jesus didn't do when he was on the earth is going to do at the end. So he's only laid down his sword temporarily but boy is he going to put stuff right at the end. Now that's what it looks like you see because he's coming to conquer and it sounds great unless we recognize that the conquering's already been done how Anth mentioned it when he read that on the saturday night it's in it's power that comes from powerlessness it's the opposite it's it's turned all on its its head so what is interesting is that we talk about enemy love but only in the context that everything is going to get balanced in the end and then uh, you know, we'll have peace. So let's just talk for a few minutes about um, fear, because fear is at such at the root of most of this, isn't it? When we f feel that we're so afraid that we have to defend because of a uh, of a fear of loss. Have you ever noticed uh, any of these end time apoc apocalyptic films that you watch? When it's you know the bombs have dropped and you've got a few survivors and they're trying to make things work. You have you noticed there's always one horrible person? Come on, come on, be with me. Who looks as though butter wouldn't melt in their mouth, but they're stashing water and food somewhere and won't share it with anybody else. You ever notice that? And that they take everybody else's, but they won't share. Oh, that makes me so mad. Really does. Because you see, we always feel that if we were to give what we had, 
we would be left with nothing. And so it's about survival, isn't it? So we have this survival mechanism going on when actually we're supposed to be sons of God. Um, can we manage with less? Then, of course, we get into the whole thing of greed, always wanting more at the expense of others. Um, we told love casts out all fear. But what if loving someone else means I have less? I'm going to be afraid again. So it's like a, you know. Um, but anyway, in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about love being the most excellent way. Um, we talked about who defines that policy, and it has to be sacrificial love. It just has to be. It has to be a love that gives to the, uh, to the willingness to lay down one's, one's life. Um, and we'll move on. I'm just coming to the end of it now. Um, <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew 5 verse 9. I love this because it says, for they shall be called... They should be called the sons of God. Now, isn't that interesting? But it's not that those who have made a decision or believe certain things in the sense of a doctrine, but it's those who go out of their way to be peacemakers. Now, I said a little bit about this earlier on, but it's not about taking sides or not taking sides, because often we think that not taking sides is being a peacemaker, but in fact, it's more about finding, um, or should I say, not trying to find out who's right or wrong, but actively working to bring reconciliation. And that's an important one, isn't it? That we tend to keep out of things because we don't want to make matters worse or what have you. But in fact, we ought to be peacemakers where we're actively trying to find a way to bring recon reconciliation. And... Um, I know what it's like that we, we've struggled a lot over this last 13 years because th certain things happened and uh, people treated us uh, in a particular way that was quite unfair and, and, and awful, even though it was understandable. Don't get me wrong, it was understandable. But then what can happen is that people can know that that is going on and actually do nothing about it or say anything, which I believe that if we feel that somebody... Um, is being dealt with wrongly. I think that we ought to voice it. I really do. I think we ought to say, look, I don't think that this is, this is love. This is not the right way to go. Um, that's, that's my view anyway. So anyway, the church exists to form Christ-like people, people of a Christ-like love. Now, I know that I haven't put a very good case for how we do that because, like I said, the complications of that is huge. But I suppose it's just beholden to each of us to decide as far as it's possible I'm going to live at peace with all men and I'm going to allow make love my intention and my goal for all my decisions now once we do that it might mean that you know Chris Chapman here is going to have to become a veggie I don't know but we'll soon see won't we yeah you see I'm open to it so all I'm saying is I'm willing to think about that um but I want to just finish with just a, a couple of scriptures because I think it's important. If we believe that the second coming was around the AD 70 when the temple was, was destroyed and that peaceable kingdom burst onto the scene, 
we've got to uh, ask the question then that how much am I cooperating and participating with God in the operation and appreciating that I can't take it back into law that makes it all about me or that becomes a works-orientated gospel. So I've got to be willing to be, be willing to be counted, but at the same time, be humble enough for it not to be all about me. See? Also, otherwise, it all gets a bit, bit weird. So it's not my might, nor my power, but my spirit says to the Lord. And if we are believing... See, I believe that the world isn't as bad as it was. Some people say, yes, it's getting worse. I don't know. I just think our, our guns and our bombs are getting bigger. But we've always done horrible things to each other, haven't we? So we can probably kill more at once now than we could before. No, but these are the things, again, you think about. We probably kill more at, what, at one time now, whereas you'd probably do it in a very horrible way. Do you remember the Charge of the Light Brigade? <laughs> do you never remember that film? Where they all the horseback cavaliers, you know, charging into this great open space and you're just looking and think, none of them stand a chance. What a way to go go you know what I mean horrible and you know and then of course you watch other things where they're impaling themselves on those sharpened um uh, bits of wood and the oh how horrible I mean it was it was very much more of a, a of an emotional and know what you're doing type thing you hide behind a button now probably but before it was very much face to face and and horrible things like that wasn't it but anyway this is what I want to sort of uh, finish with, with, is do not repay evil for evil, but rather live at peace with all men. And of course, do unto others what you would have them do to you. They're, they're just very simplistic, I would say, really, in the context of how we should try and um, arrange or organise our attitudes to each other. And I want to then leave you with this at the end. So, Well, somebody said a while back that they were they were worried about Jesus in all that we're talking about they they felt that Jesus was maybe getting pushed out a bit and where did Jesus fit I actually believe that we promote Jesus in this place more than people realize because what we're actually saying is that everything hinges on Jesus everything and whether people know it or don't know it whether they believe it or they don't believe it, it still hinges all on Jesus, which is actually giving Jesus far more credit, far more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, uh, I don't know, so I won't say it. That, that, that people who then say, ah, oh, but it's this and it's that and the other, we're actually saying what, what God has done through Christ for all men for all time is absolutely amazing. And that's why we have come away from that and come more to this because we're actually saying what Christ did in wherever is more than that. Do you see what I mean? It's more than that. And that's why I think I can try and find the faith to believe for this peaceable kingdom in my, in my time uh, and, and, and in, my, uh, in my lifetime. So I'll leave this scripture with you and then, well, then we're done. Hebrews 2 verse 8, it talks about everything being put under Jesus' feet. Um, and it talks about him putting everything under him 
God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus. And that's why I wanted to end with this by saying that we big him up more than some people recognize. We see Jesus. And we'll miss that next bit out because it doesn't really matter. But it says, crown with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death. For who? Everyone. Everyone. So I believe that Jesus is the hinge without a shadow of a doubt. So just to, just to close, I am going to see where my life uh, needs to have a little bit of hoeing with regards to my belief about the uh, peaceable kingdom and what my responsibilities are and how I can participate better in my little world to uh, make it what we said there. We don't see at this time everything subject to him, but remember what it said, everything is subject to him. It's just that as yet we don't see it, but what we do see is Jesus. And that's where we're going to end it. So there you go, I'm done. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.